Welcome to Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Today we're breaking down The Next Generation, the season three premiere episode of Star Trek Picard. We'll conclude our podcast with the latest Star Trek news. Before we begin, please remember our analysis contains spoilers. So if you haven't yet watched this episode, you may want to do so before listening to our comments. Now, Gary, let's start off with the synopsis for The Next Generation. Okay. Aboard the SS Elios 12, Dr. Beverly Crusher and another crew member attempt to hide in a nebula from their pursuers. However, they are discovered and boarded. Crusher locks the other crew member in a compartment while she successfully vaporizes the two assailants with a phaser rifle. Seriously wounded, she sends a cryptic subspace message to retired Admiral Jean-Luc Picard. At Chateau Picard, Laris and Jean-Luc prepare to leave to go to Chautauk 4, where the Romulan has been engaged to set up diplomatic security. Picard tells Laris about Crusher's message, which provides her ship's coordinates, the name Hellbird, and informs him that there should be no Starfleet and trust no one. Picard tells Laris neither he or their Enterprise crewmates have heard from Crusher for over 20 years. Although well aware of his complicated relationship with Crusher, Laris encourages Picard to follow up on Crusher's call for help. Picard meets Captain Will Riker in Los Angeles at, at the bar Tin Ford. Riker informs Picard he is experiencing some discord with his wife and daughter, Kestra, but does not go into any details about it. Picard shares Crusher's message. Riker recognizes that Helbert signaled a coding system used when Picard had been assimilated by the Borg. He then figures out Crusher's coordinates, which would place her in the Riton system outside of Federation space. Riker volunteered to accompany Picard to find Crusher. The two devise a plan in which they would use festivities associated with Frontier Day to conduct an inspection of Riker's former ship, the USS Titan. They would then invent a reason to have the ship travel near the Riton system. From there, Riker and Picard would take one of the Titan shuttle to try to locate Crusher's ship. <laughs> when Picard and Riker arrive on the Titan, they are pleased to find Seven as the first officer. However, she corrects Picard when he refers to her by that name, informing her, him, that her superior officer, Captain Liam Shaw, has ordered her to go by her birth name, Annika Hansen. In a private moment, she divulges she has doubted whether a Starfleet career was the right choice for her. Seven takes the two to the bridge, where they do not initially recognize one of, one of the Hillsmen, that is, one of the daughters of Jordy LaForge. When the relationship is made clear, Riker playfully teases her by recalling her Starfleet Academy nickname, Crash LaForge. Yeah, that was kind of cruel. No, it wasn't cruel. He was him. You would, that's just like family. Family would do that. However, it's in front of her 
crewmates. Oh, crewmates. She's at the steering wheel. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. All right. Picard and Riker finally meet Captain Shaw, who has invited them to dinner. However, it quickly becomes clear he shows no difference to his colleagues, despite their stellar reputations. Well, he doesn't necessarily see the reputations as stellar. When asked if the ship could travel to Deep Space Eleven for an inspection, Shaw flatly refuses the request, accompanied by an undue serving of disrespect. Oh, yeah. After Seven is given command of the Titan while Shaw retires to his quarters to sleep, (laughs) Seven demands Picard and Riker level with her about why they are on the ship. After they confide in her, Seven orders the bridge crew to travel to the edge of Federation space near the Wrighton system. There, Picard and Riker take a shuttle into the system to locate Crusher. Soon after they leave, Shaw awakens, discovers what has happened, and tells Seven she has loyalty'd her way out of a career. Riker and Picard find and dock on Crusher's ship. The pair notice evidence of weapons fire on the ship and split up to investigate. Picard finds Crusher encased in the medical pod. Meanwhile, the other Ilios crew member, a young man, puts a phaser to the back of Riker's neck and takes him to the compartment where Picard and Crusher are located. Picard and Riker are both surprised to learn he is Crusher's son. Mm. With a British accent. (laughs) When convinced the two are there to help, the young man lowers his phaser and is immediately knocked down to the floor by Riker. An alarm sounds to warn of an approaching vessel. When the young man lowers a ship shield, it reveals a gigantic ship in close proximity. The episode's subplot focuses on Rafi Musiker, who was on an intelligence mission on the planet Metallus Prime. Using an Orion contact she formed while a substance abuser, she attempts to learn the whereabouts of an experimental quantum tunneling device stolen from the Daystorm Institute's off-site station. The only clue she can obtains from her source is the name, the Red Lady. Aboard the SS La Serena, Musiker talks with a mysterious handler, about her progress regarding the mission. The handler urges her to discover the significance of the Red Lady, but otherwise adds nothing more to her quest. (laughs) (laughs) Using the ship's computer, Musiker learns the Red Lady may be a reference to a red stone statue of Captain Rachel Garrett of the USS Enterprise C. She learns the statue is located in front of a major Starfleet recruiting center in District 7. As her ship nears the recruiting center, she attempts to warn them of an imminent attack. However, she is too late as the tunnel opens below the center, tearing it apart. She could only watch in horror as the pieces of this substantial building are raised up and then caused to rain down upon the city. Yeah, that, I mean, that was pretty frightening. Yeah. Yeah. So now let's move on to the credits. The Next Generation was written by showrunner Terry Metalis. He is a, a writer best known for developing the film 12 Monkeys into a sci-fi series of the same name. 
Beginning in 2003, Matalas has written for t television with credits on Star Trek Enterprise, MacGyver, Nikita, and Terra Nova. He was a former production assistant on Voyager and Enterprise. For season two of Picard, Matalas co-wrote The Stargazer and Penance with Akiva Goldman. The Next Generation is the first of three scripts he has written for season three. The episode is directed by Doug Aronofsky. Aronofsky is an executive director on Picard. For Picard, he has directed some of the better episodes, specifically Nepenthe from season one, The Stargazer and Penance from season two, and the first two episodes of this final season, The Next Generation and next week's Disengage. Aronofsky has directed for other Star Trek properties, including Star Trek Discovery and the Short Treks installment, The Brightest Star. A specialist in directing action, some of his other credits include working on Sleepy Hollow, CW's Arrow and Flash series, as well as Timeless and the SWAT for ABC. Okay, so let's move to our analysis. First, the theme. The theme of this episode is reconnecting. Through the various plots and subplots of this episode, all of them reveal a person or persons seeking to reconnect with someone for deep personal reasons. Beverly with Picard, Picard with both Beverly and Riker, Rafi with her son and his family, Seven with a version of herself that she is forced to deny. It is these deep desires to reconnect with people that has each of our main characters passionately pursuing their respective quests, either alone or with others. Here's some of our first impressions. The Next Generation is by far the most successful season premiere episode of Picard, but the bar is really low. It's also the most reminiscent of previous Star Trek adventures. The episode is packed with more callbacks and Easter eggs than the entire season of Lower Decks. It's filled with various plot points as well as musical and visual cues to punctuate every obvious thematic similarity it shares between this story and from stories from other seasons, specifically Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. We basically have a female scientist and her son being chased through the galaxy by some obsessed villain. We don't know who they are as of yet. She sends a distress message to a former lover who then is inspired to come to her aid. If this son with the British accent, accent you remember I did say the son has a British accent, <laughs> doesn't turn out to be Picard's child then that will be the first major break this storyline has had with Khan. But the similarities to other Trek adventures doesn't end there. The beginning of the episode fills the screen with the exact same shots of nebulas that appeared in Remembrance, the very first episode of Picard season one. The only difference is that being Crosby saying blue skies over the images of Remembrance where we have now the ink spots performing I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire in the Next Generation episode. And it's also clear that this episode presents us with another course correction for Picard. The first season, if you think about it, 
can be described as Picard's dealing with his regrets for abandoning the Romulans and more importantly, Data. And the second season addresses his inability to maintain a romantic relationship due to his repressed memories of his mother's mental health and eventual suicide. But this third season, the, where the focus of Star Trek Picard is finally centered on something other than Picard. So let's look at what's working in the show. Okay, so let's first look at Picard and Riker. As we said, we feel like this first episode is an extremely strong beginning for the show. Much of that strength is built on the professional and personal relationship of Jonathan Frakes and Patrick Stewart. Their more mature Butch and Sundance act provides us with a few laughs, and it purchases our immediate interest in their quest. Throughout the years, Jonathan Frakes' portrayal of William T. Riker has always included a bit of Frakes' own winning charm and devilish twinkle in his eye. Originally designed to be the more romantic, adventurous, young Kirk type, in contrast to Picard's cerebral, bookish ship's captain, Riker's swashbuckling characterization was abandoned throughout the film years. Picard became the action hero in all of the films and also its romantic lead. This left Riker to lean more heavily on the humor. Now, with the passing years, this older Riker has retained some of the action because Patrick Stewart simply can't do all those stunts. Even still, more of Frake's own personality is bleeding through his performance. The Next Generation is by far the most Jonathan Frakes has infused himself into William Riker that we've ever seen. Now let's move to Beverly Crusher. This season's opener is action-packed. Gates McFadden as Beverly Crusher has more to do in the first five minutes of this episode than she had in all four Next Generation films combined. Beverly is the catalyst for the adventure of this season. She also provides us with a lot of questions that we're looking to, to find the answers. Why has she been estranged from the rest of the Enterprise crew? What is the status of this threatening minutes in the ominous ship? Who is chasing her? Why are they chasing her? By the episode's end, we're introduced to another mystery, a younger crusher son. Immediately, the question comes, who is the father? We'll have more on him later. Yes. And then we want to turn to Seven and her captain, Shaw. The Titans, number one, is in an unpleasant situation. As the second best known ex-Borg, Seven is attempting to be worthy of the new opportunity of a career in Starfleet. Unfortunately... Her captain has made that more difficult than it should be. By requiring her to go by her birth name, Annika Hansen, Shaw is intimidating Seven to assimilate into Starfleet. His disdain and derision are used to coerce her to use the name that she no longer accepts as her own. Annika Hansen is dead, therefore the name is also dead. 
if you think about it, the irony of Shaw's hatred towards the board is justifying his mistreatment of his first officer by replicating the same behavior that the Borg would put on an individual being. Yes. But Shaw's belligerent behavior doesn't end with how he treats his first officer. He targets both Picard and Riker with intentional slights and rudeness. Inviting guests to dine at the captain's table is usually an honor. Shaw, but Shaw began to eat before his guests even arrived. He refuses their request to change course by saying neither of them carry more authority on his ship because Picard is retired and Riker, although an active captain, has no ship. Therefore, he can ignore their request without threat of penalty. Some people have described him as Admiral Jellicoe on steroids. But Jellicoe was a stick in the mud. He never would have been impolite to other Starfleet officers. In contrast, Shaw's an arrogant ass. He may turn out to have an excuse for his hatred of the Borg or former Borg drones, but his actions cross over the line of acceptable behavior considerably. We thought he wouldn't survive the first episode. We'll see how much longer he has. Hopefully Shaw will explain that pay grade comment since um, I think they tell us that people don't work for money anymore. Yeah, that's what I heard. (laughs) They don't work for money in the future. So pay grade don't have any meaning. Right, right. And finally, here are some observations about Rafi. At first, I was ready to be enraged at Rafi being presented as a drugged out anxiety victim yet again. Among the surviving cast members from the first season, Rafi has been more mistreated than any other character on this show. That's right. Her storylines have shown her wallowing in some emotional trauma or in a drug addiction of some time. In some cases, she's been doing both at the exact same time. Luckily, this time it was mostly a front to hide her undercover investigation of terrorist activities in the Federation. Although, given the issues she's had in the past... I question Starfleet Intelligence's judgment in placing her on such an important mission. She is seen looking longingly at a video of her of a young girl we suspect is her granddaughter. But this is just the first episode, and we'll see how this subplot plays out. All right, so finally, let's kill one unnecessary mystery right now. Rafi's handler has got to be Worf. It is the worst kept secret since J.J. Abrams tried to dismiss the fact that Benjamin Cumberbatch was portraying Khan uh, in Star Trek Into Darkness. The handler's syntax uses no contraction. The phrase, you are a warrior, and the terse, abrupt responses all sound like Worf is on the other end of Rafi's communication link. We would be surprised if it turned out to be anyone else. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be surprised. No, no. And if you and those of you have seen interviews um, of uh, the, the, cast. The, the cast, those two are together. They you yes. there there have been a number of interviews they did where they did together. Yes, yes. that's true. Yeah. Okay. 
So let's go to one last observation, and that's Easter egg galore. Um, we This episode has a ton of Easter eggs, and we're not going to go through all of them, which, but, but a number of them are there to try to get you and I as audience members, fans of Star Trek, to pull in and find this episode appealing. Um, we have a few Jerry Goldsmith compositions from First Contact. We've got Picard's Captain's Log from The Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and a slew of personal trinkets displayed throughout Beverly's ship, the Ilios, to remind us of Beverly-related events or storylines from the next generation. The beloved L-Cars uh, are back with a vengeance all over the Ilios. Uh, finally, uh, Rachel Garrett, the heroic captain of the Enterprise C from the episode Yesterday's Enterprise, is referenced and depicted as a statue right before we see it destroyed by a terrorist attack. And don't bother to try to catch all of them. We, you don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> but several online sources have created exhaustive 30-minute-plus cr- yes. videos chronicling each and every Easter egg. Yes. And I would recommend that if you're interested in looking at any of them, I would recommend Kurt Sratt's Productions, um, Easter Eggs, and Canon Connections on YouTube. All right, so now we're moving on to our Bits and Pieces Mystery Boxes edition. Yeah, there's quite a few mystery boxes. They substituted having a theme overall overarching storyline presented here for mystery boxes. Okay, so our first one is no peace on the Penthe. So what's up with the Rikers? Why is Will Riker intimating being estranged from both Diana and their daughter Kestra? It will be interesting to find out what is the cause of this family rift. We also have another mystery box, which I've nicknamed Spare. <laughs> so why do we have another cr- Crusher son now? I mean, don't we have a perfectly good Wesley Crusher? And why was it decided that we needed a new one for this storyline? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you probably saw the ready room. Wes, uh, Will Wheaton was a bit surprised when he saw that being revealed. Um, I was too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. What's up with Starfleet Part 1? Uh, which was the title. Right, they, they put that right. as a title before the episode title. Right. So why is Beverly suspicious of Starfleet knowing where she is? And then what's up with Starfleet Part 2? Who is stealing advanced weapon technology from the Daystrom Institute? Why are they using it to kill innocent Federation citizens? It seems like the Daystrom Institute is just a lot of trouble. Maybe they should just shut it down. It seems as if it has the same security system as Star Labs has (laughs) on the Flash. Okay. But that's just me. So our next one is called Under New Management. Picard is moving away with his nursemaid, Laris, to Chaka 4 at the beginning of this episode. Uh, so we were just curious about who's going to run the Chateau Picard. He commented last season that he was the last of the Picards. So who takes over the management of the vineyard if he's gone? Yeah, I mean, is there a distant, distant relative? (laughs) (laughs) One of them that stayed back in England? Right. (laughs) I bet you they speak French. 
<laughs> okay, and, and next, gun happy. What is the benefit of a pump action laser rifle? I mean, how does that do anything useful? I have no idea. When they originally introduced this version of the phaser rifle back in the first contact, there was no pump action no, on it. Sure so I'm not that. really sure. I mean, it's a laser rifle. Yep. It's a laser rifle. How do you increase the energy yeah, by pumping it? Yeah. It's, I don't, I mean. That was ridiculous. It's just, it, anyway. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So we want to talk about who's your daddy. <laughs> Beverly Crusher has an additional passenger aboard her ship, and it's her son. Now, where did, where did this come from? Now, actually, Gary did the math, and Memory Alpha documents that, uh, that Beverly was born in 2324. Picard takes place in 2401. We're talking about this season of Picard. It takes place in 2401. So that makes her 77 years old. The actor playing her new son is, um, in real life, 34 years old. So if his character is the same age as the actor, or even two years older, that means he was born sometime between 2365 and 2367. 2565 is interesting because that is the year of the second season when Beverly was not... The second season of Next Generation. Yeah, was not in The Next Generation. Yeah. Could she have left the Enterprise because she was pregnant with Picard's child? Time would tell. Well, it also says says something about her that she would then give birth to a child, abandon it for six right, more years right. to go hang out with the folks. Right. You know, exactly. I mean, it's, and not tell Wesley about. I, it. I hope. I hope. I hope they are not going to make this a story of the the missing. Crusher second season, right? I hope that's not how they're going to play that out. But we'll see. Time will tell. Yes. Time will definitely tell. And then we have some of our final thoughts. And this is, <laughs> this was my original theme. The real theme of this episode is irony. It's ironic that the third and final season of Star Trek Picard is a next generation reunion. This was the last thing Patrick Stewart said he wanted this series to be when he was approached by Alex Kurtzman to actually reprise his role as Jean-Luc Picard. To ensure that this wouldn't happen, Paramount Plus CBS Studios gave Patrick Stewart significant input in the writer's room. That's part of the reason why his wife was in an episode last season and why the first two seasons have focused so specifically on his own personal experiences as opposed to an adventure that might capture and engage the other cast members as well. Yet, after two disappointing seasons where the show dealt with some personal trauma of Picard's, it appears decisions were made to salvage the future profitability of the series by giving the fans exactly what they wanted. If nothing else, a few lessons have been learned and all of them have led to this reunion of the Next Generation cast. I suspect that throughout the remainder of Season 3, 
irony will continue to play out throughout this series. Okay, so now we're moving to Star Trek news. And the first thing we want to talk about is the Ready Room. The the latest installment of the Ready Room began with a featurette on Dr. Beverly Crusher. This was followed by the interview Will Wheaton conducted with Gates McFadden and Patrick Stewart. During this interview, there were a few awkward moments when Will stated he was not aware until he saw this episode that his TV mom, Dr. Crusher, had another son. He also said that while he watched the screener, he said to himself that his character, Wesley Crusher, could have been placed in the situation his mysterious half-brother was experiencing. Well, who knows why Will was not asked to be involved in season three of Picard, but obviously it remains an uncomfortable issue for both the actor and for those who are fans of his character. That's right. Following this interview, Wheaton had an interview with showrunner Terry Metalis, who was the one who had the power to include Will in this season if he had wanted to. Instead of broaching the subject about Will's exclusion from the season, Metalis seemed to go overboard with praise about the ready room and how glad he was to be interviewed by Will. Yeah, he sure did. The ready room episode It ended with a featurette on the relationship between Picard and his former first officer, Captain Will Riker. This was followed by a clip from the next episode of Picard entitled Disengage, as well as a touching tribute to Annie Wershing, who recently died of cancer. Last week, our podcast also recognized her acting career, including her two Star Trek roles. Okay, our next item is that there's going to be another new Star Trek comic book miniseries. According to Screen Rant, in May, IDW will publish a five-issue comic miniseries that will be a direct sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture. (laughs) Entitled Star Trek The Motion Picture Echoes, The series will pick up after the events of the film and we'll see Admiral Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise confront doppelgangers of themselves from another universe. The series will be written by Mark Guggenheim and illustrated by Oleg Chudakov with the first cover art and official plot synopsis now available below. According to IDW press release, featuring spectacular artwork by Oleg Chudakov and colors by DC Alonzo, Echoes pits the venerated Captain James T. Kirk and his crew against enemies both terrifying and shockingly familiar. When a space anomaly thrusts a criminal mastermind pursued by the very determined pilot on a mission, into our universe, the Enterprise must stop them from unintentionally starting a war with the Romulans and unleashing a superweapon of foreign technology into the system. But things get infinitely more complicated when these newcomers to our reality remove their helmets, revealing that they are actually the doppelgangers of our beloved heroes. Oh, okay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay, so for our last item, uh, we're uh, going to talk about Trek Against Pancreatic Cancer. 
Following up on recent efforts to raise funds and join in the fight against pancreatic cancer, Jonathan Frakes, Armin Shimmerman, and Kitty Schwink are teaming up again for another pan-can purple stride walk to end the disease. According to a press release, their team, Trek Against Pancreatic Cancer, is calling on their fans and everyone across the country to join them in the fight. This is the third year in a row that Frakes, Shimmerman, and Swink have participated in the Pancan Purple Stride. The mission of the team is personal. Frakes lost his brother Daniel to the disease over 20 years ago, and Kitty Swink, Shimmerman's wife, is a 19-year pancreatic cancer survivor. John Billingsley, you remember Flocks from the Star Trek Enterprise, is also joining the team this year. He lost his mother to pancreatic cancer following just a three-month battle. The team will leverage the power of their collective voice, encouraging their fans across the nation to show support and help others live long and prosper. City by City supporters will walk the nation in solidarity on Saturday, April 29th of this year to raise national awareness and much-needed funds for pancreatic cancer research. This year's goal is to raise 19 million in nearly 60 communities nationwide. Approximately 70,000 participants are expected to come together in person, and anyone can register to participate for free. To find and register for a PanCan Purple Stride event in your community, visit pancan.org. So in closing, We'll be back next week with our analysis of Disengage, Episode 2 of Star Trek Picard, Season 3. Before we sign off, we would like to remind you to share a link to Age of Discovery with people you know who enjoy Star Trek as well. Also, since we've been producing this show since September of 2017, we want to suggest that you explore our full catalog of episodes. Our podcast includes analysis of every episode of Star Trek Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, and Strange New Worlds, as well as reviews of the short treks and several special topic shows. Please recommend our podcast to your friends or family members who want to dig deeper into the Star Trek universe. But until that time... Like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Age of Discovery on Twitter and Instagram at Star Trek AOD, at Facebook at Facebook.com Star Trek AOD, and at our website Star Trek AOD.net where we offer additional articles on Star Trek canon, interesting sidebar issues, and other aspects of the show. Also, email the show at StarTrekAOD at gmail.com. But until then, live long and prosper.